As you make your way to 1 Corinthians for the first evening expository message in this lengthy, not particularly difficult, a little bit difficult, it has some difficulties, but certainly controversial New Testament book, it just occurred to me while we were singing that, and, and we hardly need to be convinced of this, but at salvation, you did not merit that at all, did you? You did not deserve to be forgiven and redeemed, right? Can I get an amen? You didn't deserve it. And I did not deserve it. And I feel like I didn't deserve it more than you didn't deserve it. Although theologically, that doesn't hold water because depravity is depravity, right? But I'm more familiar with my depravity as a lost person than I am with your depravity as a lost person. But I did not deserve it. Similarly, I don't deserve his keeping grace either. If God would have decreed and if he would have wanted to have determined that I'm going to save you, forgive you, now you had better stay in line. You had better stay right within these parameters and don't step outside of those parameters or else you're out of here eternally. Now, if when you discipline one of your children or grandchildren, of course we don't discipline our grandchildren. <laughs> but if it, in theory, if you did, and you then put the qualifier, okay, I picked you up and cleaned you up, now you're ready to go through life. Don't go outside of the fence again or else. It wouldn't have been be long, would it? Uh, especially if it's a four-year-old boy <laughs> before you're doing it again, right? And yet, how many of us as parents and grandparents have said, okay, you're out, get out and stay out? None. How much more is God's grace magnified when you think uh, about all you have sinned? I said this a couple, three weeks ago. In quantity, I've sinned more as a believer than it is a lost person. Now, not, not in as heinous a way, I, I don't believe. I don't think so. I'm sure not. I hope not. But in quantity, because I was lost for 20 years, and some of that time I was an infant and toddler. But I've been saved 46 years, two and a half times almost, over two times as long. And yet, he still calls me his saint, his holy one. That, that blows me away. It, it's grace upon grace. It's grace overflowing with more grace. And that's uh, how it will be throughout all eternity. So that does not provoke in me a, well, then I'm just going to go and sin since I'm accepted anyway. No, that's not what is provoked in my heart. What comes in my heart is how shameful that is to do that against the one 
who has everlasting love for me. I'm prompted to not want to uh, do that which is displeasing in the eyes of the Lord. Well, that kind of is, in a nutshell, what this text is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the holy Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything you are enriched by him, in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I didn't count it up, because I was studying phrase by phrase, but when I just now read it out loud, and I hadn't read it out loud yet, maybe I should do that at home or at the office when I'm preparing, I didn't recognize how many times Christ, Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ is stated in these verses. Let's count them together. I really don't know. Where is it first found? First verse, apostle of Jesus Christ. Let's look at verse 2. Sanctified in Christ Jesus. Call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the third time. Verse 3, from the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, given you by Jesus Christ. Verse 6, the testimony of Christ. Verse 7, our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8, who shall confirm you blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, we're called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ. In nine verses, the Lord Jesus is specifically stated nine times. Where should our focus be? <laughs> Corinthians, where should your focus have been? It wasn't in the Lord, not to the degree uh, that, uh, that the Lord would be honored. And in fact, he was dishonored through them. So this evening, we begin a verse-by-verse study as I shared this morning, through 1 Corinthians, and I shared this morning the variety of problems which plagued this church. It was filled with sin, and there isn't anything other than the grace of God in Christ and, and, and we who will yield and avail ourselves that is stopping Redbridge from becoming a, a modern-day Corinth. It could happen. It happened then and there. It could happen here, and we have seen local churches where the glory of the Lord departed long ago. We have seen denominations which used to stand for biblical um, authority and that ship sailed out of the harbor decades ago. And so may we never be so confident, so haughty as to lose our dependence 
on him as a congregation or individually. Amen? Walk humbly before the Lord, dependent on him for everything. That, that message is coming through very loud and clear in these first nine verses. The Holy Corinthians. That's because each and every follower of Christ is a saint. Every follower, genuine believer, is a holy one of God. Uh, it's because that's our standing. It's our position in Christ. We who are Bible believers reject the view of the Roman church, which designates certain folks to be saints and calls them as such. Um, in fact, uh, it's interesting that Paul identified them as such here. And yet, by anyone's standard, if you were to look at these folks, you might think, no, no, not a saint at all. Uh, that is a sinner because of their behavior. And yet, um, the Apostle Paul, by the Spirit of God, said, these are holy ones. Let's get into the text itself. First of all, in verses 1 through 3, Paul's greeting. And it's quite typical. It's standard Pauline greeting to a local church. Uh, because Paul was a churchman. Paul understood the local church. In fact, he not only wrote 1 Timothy 3.15, that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth, he believed it and he lived it. The local church, I mean, Paul's life was all about winning the lost uh, and then growing uh, the, the church. He, he was, uh, the, if you will, the founder of New Testament missions. That is, he was the one who actually uh, set sail for the first time from Acts chapter 13. So he knew it through and through, uh, and he knew and valued the, uh, the local church um, as much as anyone in, in history, any mere mortal in his history. Uh, S. Lewis Johnson wrote, if in Romans Paul resembles the modern professor of biblical theology, if that's the case, then in 1 Corinthians, he resembles the pastor teacher faced with the care of the church on the firing line of Christian warfare. And Christian warfare simply because they were caving in to the world. The licentiousness of the world had uh, flooded and the immorality, the paganism, uh, and the idolatry had flooded uh, that church and had really uh, consumed them, taken them captive. So he gives this greeting um, uh, I, Paul, and then uh, he gets into more of the specificity, or we will get into more of the specificity. of First of all, the correspondence, that is, those who are sending the letter. Uh, the Apostle Paul, we talked this morning about no debate over his authorship, and he was called to an office of apostleship. Now, is that still going on? And if you say yes, well, then it needs to be qualified. You need to, you need to demonstrate because there are churches who do say that there are apostles. I am one who's convinced that no, the office of apostle has ceased. There are no longer apostles and there haven't been apostles since the last one died, in, uh, the apostle John. You say, preacher, how do you know that? Well, let me demonstrate this. Let scripture demonstrate it. In Ephesians 2, 19 through 22... It's talking about the local church, believers. You are no more strangers and foreigners, that is of God, but fellow citizens with the saints. You Ephesians are, are, are saints, like other believers. You're of the household of God. And you are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, 
Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. In other words, we get all of our bearings from the chief cornerstone. He is, the, the Lord is that. In whom, now notice the, the uh, reference to the building and to a structure and to a temple. In whom all the building is being properly framed together and it's growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom in Christ you are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Now I ask you if you erect a building, if you build a temple, if you uh, uh, construct the Empire State Building and when you first start doing that you put the foundation as you advance century after century, uh, and now we're into our 20th century since the 21st century since then, how many foundations do you lay after the first one? None. Zero. One foundation. Christ is the cornerstone. The apostles and prophets, that is the apostles who uh, led the, the church, the, the prophets who uh, were used of the Lord to, uh, through inspired scripture like, uh, like Luke and like Mark and others uh, who were not apostles. They were foundational to the church, and that was one time laid. The theology of New Testament Christianity was laid by the apostles and prophets, Christ being the cornerstone. You don't then, a, a millennia later, two millennia later, go and construct another foundation. Ergo, apostles and prophets are no longer in office. Do you all follow that argument? Uh, there's simply no place in Scripture which would indicate that that office has continued. And so, uh, that office is gone. It was, in, it was active then, of course. And Paul said, and Sosthenes was with me. Now, maybe Sosthenes was his amanuensis. Because you know, uh, Paul had an affliction. Many believe it was eyesight. And there's one epistle he said, see, I've, I've signed this with my, uh, in large letters uh, with my own hand. Just so I can see what I'm doing. There are those who believe that's the case. And so he may have been the one who actually wrote down, the, he may have penned the script, Sosthenes. Uh, that is, that is, has been suggested and it very well could be. In Acts chapter 18, it says he was the chief ruler of the synagogue. He got saved and then he partnered with the Apostle Paul. Not a lot more said about Sosthenes other than he is our brother. Um, they knew him in Corinth. They loved him. They respected him. And Paul did as well. Secondly, the recipients. The recipients of the letter. And I marvel that 1 Corinthians um, is one rebuke after another. And yet Paul began by identifying them as sanctified saints. Look, if you would, at verse 2. Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified, and then there's, uh, uh, there's no verb there, to be called to be. It's just called saints. Um, uh, it's, it's very interesting con construction. No verb in this phrase. Uh, it's, uh, it, actually, it, uh, it's a after that. No verb in the, um, in the, uh, the called, um, yeah, called to be saints. It's literally the called holy ones. And so they are sanctified saints. That's redundant. For the sake of, of emphasis, because it's from the saint, same word, it's like holy, holy ones. And they are the called holy ones. They all had the same standing as all other followers of Christ. And I'm so thankful that that particular uh, phrasing and construction 
was written to the church at Corinth, uh, and not to the church at Ephesus, which had everything good going for them, uh, not, uh, not to other churches, but to the church at Corinth, which was just blistered by, with wrongdoing by the Apostle Paul. What, what they were doing was wrong, and yet he said, you are holy, holy ones. You are called holy ones. He's emphasizing you are saints because Christ has saved you and he will keep you saved. Of course, we understand, provided, in fact, any of them who were part of the church were genuine believers. And we know certainly Sosthenes was, uh, according to what Paul said. I like the, uh, the, uh, the, the winsomeness of J. Vernon McGee. Don't you love J. Vernon McGee's voice? And I can just hear him on the radio. Uh, all of mankind is, I can't even do his voice. I'll do my voice. All of mankind is divided between the saints and the ain'ts. If you ain't in Christ, then you are an ain't. If you are in Christ, then you are a saint. <laughs> can't you hear J. Vernon McGee saying that? Uh, but that's good theology. You're one or the other. You're in or you're out. Uh, you're, you're an ain't or you're a saint. Um, and the Apostle Paul, by the Spirit of God, told the Corinthian believers, even though worldliness has cr- had crept into the church, it, it just rampant in the church. Uh, and we will see that time and time again. Yet, from right out of the get-go, because nine times of who Christ is and what he has done, he has made you holy ones. Now, repent and start behaving that way. Behave what you say you believe is really the the crux of the matter in chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. A.T. Robertson uh, and Alfred Plummer wrote, The old city, that is Corinth, had been the most licentious, evil city in Greece, and perhaps the most licentious city in the empire. If if you would study and do a, 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 a search on ancient Corinth, the only thing that would pop up is idolatry and immorality. I mean, other than the, the local church that was planted there. But as far, uh, as far as the secular research, you would see example after example uh, how the people were given to paganism with hundreds, literally hundreds and hundreds of temple prostitutes that would service the men going east and west by, on ships and licentiousness that was the city of Corinth and this local church was right there should have been shining the light but they started caving in and imbibing of uh, the drink of uh, of the people thirdly the blessing verse three we see that in chapter one grace be to you peace just like the salutation This is very typical Pauline. It's a typical blessing from the Apostle Paul. And notice the order. It is always, if you'll notice in Paul's epistles, it's always grace and then peace. It's never peace and then grace. Because you cannot have peace with God until you have experienced the grace of God. The grace of God brings you into a relationship with him. And then we have peace with God, the war is over. And the Apostle Paul gave them that blessing and that greeting as he did so many other churches. So, 
there's the introduction and um, getting right out of the gate. Now, for the meat of uh, this text, in verses one, uh, 4 through 9, Paul's thanksgiving. His thanksgiving, and it, began, uh, it begins in verse 4, I thank my God always. He is thankful time and time again in, in the opening verses of Paul's letters. He will say that he is always thanking the Lord for this. Folks. Now, folks, remember, this isn't like what we experienced in middle America in the Bible Belt, where uh, there, there's a church and even a Bible-believing church seemingly within a stone's throw in, in, um, in most of the places that we know. This is one church in the entire region, on the whole island, as it were, um, with just a few people and no one affluent to speak of. And yet the Apostle Paul says, I am always thanking God for you. Gordon Fee observed, what is remarkable here It's the apostles' ability to thank God for the very things in the church that, because of their abuses, also are causing him grief. I'm thanking God for what he has done in your life, and what you are doing with what he has done in your life is also causing me grief. Oh, my. How terrible would it be for another believer, a high-profile believer, we'll say, a seasoned veteran, one that the whole Christian world uh, respects, to have to receive a letter in the church office saying, uh, "I came incognito and visited your congregation. No one was interested in me. No one would speak to me. Uh, the uh, The music was flat. The preaching was limp, and uh, and the people were dead. God bless you." <laughs> You don't want that, right? Amen? Well, that's what the Corinthians heard from the apostle to the Gentiles whom he had won to the Lord some two years earlier. My, had they caved in to the world in a very short amount of time. And yet, Paul said, I'm thanking God for you. Now, notice Paul's thanksgiving. It is... I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God uh, is given unto you um, by Christ Jesus. It is resting upon them. God's foundational grace. Paul is praising God for that. Now very specifically, Paul offers thanksgiving for the present benefits of grace which was upon the church at Corinth. In verses 4, the first part of verse 7. Uh, God's grace had blessed them in, in a couple of ways. His grace, God's grace, uh, was a blessing to them at that time in quantity. Notice in our text, it says that in everything you're enriched by him. He's blessed you in every way. So there is the blessing of the grace of God in quantity... They didn't lack. And as well as in quality, because notice that how the blessing played out. He's blessed you in every way, in all utterance and in all knowledge. That is, in the communication of the truth and in the comprehension of the truth. They knew theology. They knew how to articulate the message and the truth. 
of the things of God. Uh, arguably, uh, they could defend the triunity of God. They understood uh, the sealing of the Holy Spirit uh, until the day of redemption. Uh, they could argue for and contend for the deity of Christ, biblical inspiration, uh, blood atonement, salvation by grace through faith, uh, that by Christ alone, in, uh, grace alone, in Christ alone, by faith alone, and, and the like. They had all of the knowledge and all of the capacity to communicate that to a depraved culture like the world hardly had ever seen before, maybe since Sodom and Gomorrah. And so Paul was thanking God for how he had blessed them. Now, folks, I don't want to sound like a broken record. If you notice the beginning of verse 7, your testimony uh, of, was confirmed in you that you come behind in no gift. You're not lacking anything. God has provided everything to you as a local church. Now, that wasn't necessarily said uh, about other local churches. They did have things that they needed. Maybe they didn't have an abundance of teachers. Maybe, maybe they didn't have an abundance of, uh, of, of folks who would serve in this way or, or do that. And we are so like that. We have an abundance. I am amazed. Did y'all receive your vision? Did you see, receive your newsletter? Did you read my article? And, uh, and what was, what was the, the uh, Ray, what was the gist of that article? I'm putting you on the spot because uh, anybody remember the gist of that article? What, what, what about it? Yeah. I am blown away, if I can use that term, by our 25 and our 30 and our 35 and 40-year-olds who've taken over this church. <laughs> it, see, it's, that's how it feels like to me. And I, I guess uh, I look back and 40 years ago, that was me. Uh, and I didn't think anything about it then. It seemed, it seemed normal. It seemed natural to me. But to see our young adults chairing committees, being involved in missions, serving in various ministries, and that's always been the case. I'm just struck by it maybe now. We don't fall behind in any blessing, amen, as a local church. We really uh, do not. We have preachers, a number of preachers. We have teachers, a number of teachers, and singers, and, uh, and technicians, and, and ministers, and, and all that this local church had. And Paul thanked the Lord for them. So, the present benefits of grace. May we never fail to thank the Lord for the present benefits blessings that we as a local congregation enjoy this is our 58th year today is october 8th three days ago i think it was october 5th 1965 Catherine reminds me 1965 was a glorious year she was born and redbridge was born <laughs> and i say amen that is a, both of those are very special in my life but redbridge uh, was um conceived and uh, the mind of servants of God uh, from Bethany Baptist in Kansas City in 1963. And the chapel was established here. About a year and a half, year and three quarters later, in October of 65, we constituted as a local church. And by his grace and for his glory, unlike Corinth, 
which lasted a couple of years before worldliness just consumed the church, we have never had a moment as a local church without there being a high view of the authority of the Word of God, held by God's people, without there being a burden for the lost, uh, and a passion for missions and missionaries, and wanting to serve, and wanting uh, to pray, and worship, and all. Folks, that's the good, because we've not been perfect. God knows we've not been perfect as a local church. We're littered with all kinds of, of infractions toward one another and, and, uh, and all. And yet, we have been filled with blessings all of that time. Brother Gray's been here for a few years. Brother Gray, what year did you come to Redbridge? 1976. So about, uh, we were about a decade old, and he's been there, here ever since, other than when he was in seminary. You've seen the blessings of the Lord upon this church, my guess is. His hand of anointing, and yet, Maceo, you've also seen, and I've seen, Trish has seen, a few of us other old-timers around here, Trish is not an old timer. <laughs> mm, not an old timer. A, a long timer. <laughs> we have seen that we have not always acted and reacted in accordance to his will. Not perfectly, certainly not. We know that. Don't glory in it. That's the reality. And yet, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Nine times in these nine verses it's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ upon you and he was writing to some rascals in Corinth wow what blessings Paul's saying I'm thanking God for you don't fall short in any blessing you have the whole package and then notice in verse 7b through 9 thanksgiving for the future benefits of grace the future benefits of grace that you don't fall behind in any gift as you're waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ the return of Christ the calling away of of his church who shall confirm you unto the end he's going to hold you safe uh, until that end that you may be blameless. Folks, blameless uh, in Scripture is not sinless. It means that you, you're not condemnable. And again, you're not condemnable because of him. Nothing shall separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so Paul reminded them that there are greater benefits, future benefits, and it's when we are with the Lord And we ought to eagerly anticipate that. Now I ask you this. When you were first saved, you probably did not have as great a hunger for the Lord to bring things to conclusion as you do now. But my guess is if you've walked with him any length of time through this world, and you've experienced the suffering that the, that the world experiences. You've seen it and maybe you've 
had that spill over onto you, you long more and more. You, more and more, your prayer is Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, Paul was saying that uh, to them. Be, you, you shall also, he shall also confirm you. Um, what other translation do you have, the first phrase of verse 8? I don't, I'm, not, I'm not explaining that very well. Give me another translation. He will keep you. What else? Keep you strong. I guess secure. Garrett, help me out on that, beginning of verse 8. Keep you secure. You like that? He will keep you secure until the Lord is present again. Well, if that is the case for the Corinthians, then it's the case for you too, even though you stumble and drop the ball occasionally, and do I, as do I. Folks, this, this in, the, in the midst of a, a lot of idolatry and immorality, this is a comforting word that we don't fall behind in any grace, any benefit. So we, our hearts ought to be filled with thankfulness. It's, uh, uh, I'm amazed. I'm amazed that God, this is going to sound so um, trite, but I mean it genuinely. I'm amazed that the things I've done or, or thought in action or in attitude or in reaction, as a believer, God would still want to use me. And I'm not even talking about heinous things. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not talking about, well, I won't even mention the heinous things because you know what the, they are. But... To, to presume upon his grace is an awful thing. And yet, in his kindness, he um, still has blessings for his own. Paul told Titus in 2, in verse 11, uh, chapter 2, 11 through 13, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, don't, don't go there. He wasn't even talking to the Corinthians. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. He told Titus, pastoring in Crete, to look for the Lord, and in doing that, you're going to deny the things that the Corinthians imbibed, took in. Shame on them. Shame on us if that were to ever be the case in this local church. Verse 8 uh, says that believers are given a blameless confirmation, a blameless assurance, meaning he guarantees our no condemnation position. And notice for how long he does it. In verse 8, he will secure you unto the end. Whatever the end is, you're secure at that point. The end of your life, the end of the existence of your local church, the end of the age, and his appearing. He is going to keep you secure. And how will you be presented as a believer? 
according to Colossians 1.22, you will be presented in his presence holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. What? I have not walked in perfection. Not in practical perfection. I have sinned in action and attitude. As a believer. And you have as well. And yet, his grace swallows that up. And casts that into the sea. And it's separated as far as the east is from the west. Hence, what I shared this morning, you have been cleansed from all unrighteousness. You can't be any more forgiven than you're already forgiven. And if you try, then you're adding works to grace. And that's no good. You can't be any more loved as a child of God than you are already. And so, if you are one who has a propensity to want to measure up, to want God to approve you and approve of you, if you have genuinely believed and you're converted, you are approved. You are blameless in his sight. Now, always live that way. That doesn't mean throw aside, cast aside holiness. No, it means you have a propensity, uh, you have a longing for that. Be ye holy, for I am holy, 1 Peter 1. Wow, what an opening salvo. Verses 1 through 9 is in 1 Corinthians. The clear emphasis is be thankful to God for what he has done for his people and what he will do. May we walk in a spirit of gratefulness all our days. Lord, I'm so thankful for this your word, what assurance it brings. It doesn't move in my heart to, to want to uh, frolic around in the world, but instead to honor you and do so in a spirit of humble, dependent gratefulness for the abundant blessings which I've experienced what your, and what your church has experienced here on this corner these 58 years. So Lord, may the next years, however long that will be, be that which is even more fruitful in our lives individually, in our lives corporately, until you call us home or until you call your church home, that we be found faithful, honoring you, thanking you, worshiping, serving, testifying, and you being glorified in and through our lives. For you, Lord Jesus, nine times in these nine verses, it's indicated that you and you alone are worthy. In his blessed and glorious name, we do pray. All God's people said,